Okay. Tony's going to be bringing up copies of the notes. We are in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 16. And there's several things going on in these verses. This is the closing chapter of Hebrews. Um, I'll read through it. I'll read the first verses that we covered last week and read into uh, our text today. Uh, three times the leaders are going to be mentioned in this chapter. The leaders that are mentioned in this, this verse, chapter 13, verse 7, appear to be leaders that have already done their work and they've died they've passed on not martyred there's no indication that they were martyred because uh, it already says earlier in the book that you have not yet shed your blood although there have been martyrdoms in jerusalem starting with uh uh james john's brother early on uh, uh of <coughs> course stephen was stoned james was pushed off the temple mount uh if we this, this, this verse is going to be interesting, these set of verses, because as we know, the German, Jer, Jewish wars are 66 to 70 A.D. If this is 63 A.D., which is not absolute, it's just what I'm working on, uh, we're going to have uh, these things taking place at this time right here, before 66 A.D. John is going to leave Jerusalem and take Mary, Jesus' mother, up to Ephesus. Also, Simeon... Now, this is just church history. It's not mentioned in this chapter, but I, for, as I'm reading these verses, this book of Hebrews almost appears, which it is. It, if it's not 63 A.D., we're within a few months of this. It, it seems to be talking to this, this church, this congregation, this group of people. Simeon is the bishop. After uh, James is pushed off the Temple Mount right around 63 A.D., and beaten Simeon his cousin becomes the bishop of the church of Jerusalem sometime when John goes to Ephesus up to Asia Minor Simeon is going to take the Christians in Jerusalem which would be this group some of them in this group they're going to cross go down to Jericho cross the Jordan go north up to Decapolis which is just east of uh, the Sea of Galilee in a city called Pella they're, they're going to stay there until the Jewish wars are over then sometime around 72 AD they're going to drift back into Jerusalem and, and continue their work as Christians and, and you know, submit to the Roman Empire. So the Christians are going to miss this whole time. Just like Jesus says, when you see Jerusalem, he, J they're following Jesus' message in Matthew 24. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by enemies, flee, get out. It's time for the judgment on Jerusalem from the days of the prophets that's been building up for this. Again, that's in Luke, when you read, when you see Jerusalem surrounded, interestingly, it says, Lift up your heads, your salvation draws near. So Jesus, in those, those eschatological verses of Matthew and Luke, he's talking about Jerusalem being surrounded. One time he says, flee, get out. It's time for judgment to come that we've been waiting for for all these years. The next time he says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded, look up, your salvation's coming near. So Simeon, following it would be his cousin, or his savior, Jesus, and his cousin James, uh, who was the bishop before, they left. John, interestingly, leaves. So we could assume that in 63 AD, when this letter is being written, John is still a member of the church. Simeon is leading the church. James may have just been killed. Uh, and all these people. So what, what you're reading in these verses is addressed to these people right before the coming of the Roman destruction. And it's important in this because they're going to be talking about a city. It's going to talk about a city. You do not, he's going to say, right, very clear in these verses, you do not have a city here. Your city 
is somewhere else. You, there, Jesus is going to be having, in these verses, is going to be taken out of the city to be cru- crucified. Uh, that will be the altar that's going to be referred to. And the temple was inside the city. Here's a, here's a great contrast in this whole book. The temple is in the city. Jesus was forced to leave the city. This is where the unclean go. This is where the animals, we'll read some verses. This is where the animals on the day of, of, of uh, atonement, the day of, uh, uh, yeah, the day of atonement, well, they would be taken out and burned outside. Some sacrifices they'd be, you know, eaten. They'd be taken in temple, the priest would eat them. Some sacrifice on the day of atonement would be removed and burnt totally. Jesus followed the pattern of something that was totally removed, was brought out with where the lepers go, like when Miriam had leprosy, she was removed from the camp. Uh, The animals that were sacrificed, if they weren't eaten, they were brought out and burnt outside the camp. So Jesus is now, his whole experience on his altar was not this altar. So you've got an altar in here, and you've got an altar out here. And the contrast is, you do not belong in here, you do not have a city, Jesus left the city. He went outside the city walls. That's where he was crucified. You understand, this is where you belong. You belong out here where the rejected, though the, what the temple rejected, this is where you belong. And it's a huge contrast between the old and the new. And he's talking now about, well, he's going to get into, so we have no, they're probably being accused, as the Romans accuse them, you don't even have a God. You have no idol you have no image, you're, you're, you're atheists, the Romans would call the Christians. Well, the Jews are going to be looking at the same thing, and there's a possibility. It's like, where are your sacrifices? Where is your ceremonies? It's like, well, the altar's going to say, we have sacrifices, and those sacrifices are our good deeds. Our sacrifices are our continuous praise and thanksgiving. It's going to be our lifestyle. It's no longer a ritual. It's an actual transformation. And so that's kind of where this is going. And uh, it begins by saying, remember your leaders. And the reason I say leaders, uh, that would be, James would be one of them. uh, But yet contemporary, when it mentions them later, uh, the leaders would be John, who's going to be leaving soon, and Simeon, who's going to be leaving, as all the Christians would apparently soon be leaving. Anyway, chapter 13, verse 1. Chapter 13, verse 1, verses 1 through 6, we read last week. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Philadelphia. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, uh, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and this is Christians who are being persecuted in prison, uh, and those who are mistreated, that'd be being uh, mistreated in the sense of persecution, as if you yourself were suffering. Marriage, in, in all this tension, between 63 and the fall of Jerusalem. All this tension, this cultural tension. There is cultural tension. Just like we've got cultural, cultural tension between the conservatives and the liberals and all the different groups. There's, it's like, which group are you on? They're definitely in that throes right there. Of which, which group are you on? And they've got to pick political parties. And they're saying, in this whole, all this mix, you support those who are Christians. And remember, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, meaning the institution of marriage continues. Now, this is advice for us as we see our culture spiraling out of control, is keep your eye on the institution. Marriage is still of this age. The marriage and family, it's still important. Up until the day it all ends, hold on to marriage, hold on to family. These are, if you're doing that, 
you're on the right side of history. You start deconstructing marriage, start deconstructing family, you've joined with the deconstruction process. Marriage should be kept pure, and the marriage bed should be kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. In other words, there's still going to be morality up until the end. Hold on to the institutions. Hold on to morality. Just because the whole world is going crazy, you do not go crazy. You hold on to your integrity. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God it says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So in this turmoil in 63 AD or 2022, just keep your eye on God he will take care of you. You've got responsibilities. Meet them. You've got needs. He'll take care of them. You're, you know, work, make a living. But do not try to become more than you are. And again, this is, this is a tough thing because in our culture, always strive to move up. Always strive to be better. And there's, there's a truth to that. You want to improve. I want to become a better Bible teacher. You know, I continue to study. I continue to pursue improvement. But at the same time, you've got to be content. It's like, wh- how far are you going to push it? Well, I need to get more advertising i'm just i'm making an application i need to get out i got to start making sure there's more people you know it's like what is that what god's be content with what god's given you if it be this home this career that i've got this family this town that i live in uh the ministry he's given. be content it's like god will not leave you or forsake you take care now if there's a chance for you to improve like i want to become a better bible teacher well that's one thing but if you're trying to become bigger greater it's like whoa whoa you're John the Baptist even said this. They, they challenged John the Baptist. You know, they said, hey, everyone that was following you is going over to follow Jesus. And John says, I told you uh, that that was going to happen. A man can only receive what God has given him. God has given me this. I can't like, oh, how do I mimic Jesus' ministry and tap in and get part of his crowd? It's like, I'm John the Baptist. This is Jesus the Messiah. I'm the forerunner. He's going to become greater. I'm going to become less. And now it's happening. It's like, well, what are you going to do about it? Well, I've got a marketing plan. I've got to wait. I'm going to cut in on his ministry a little bit. We're going to try to tap into this jurisdiction over here, this, this demographic. Over. It's like, hey, I, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And, I, and he, of course, he didn't understand everything. He ends up in prison. And he's kind of thinking, like, hey, aren't we heading for, like, the, the civil war, the revolt against Rome? Aren't we heading? It's like, uh, no, John, uh, don't be offended, but I'm not coming to rescue you. That's what Jesus said. Blessed is the man who's not offended because, John, thanks for your ministry. Uh, you're done. It's like, what, what, what? It's like, so you gotta, be, you gotta be ready for that. Anyway, this is saying the same thing. Keep your lives free from the love of money, even these chaotic times, and be content with what you have because God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, right out of the Old Testament. So we say with confidence because God will never leave me, God will never forsake me. Now I can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Because you're looking at the world of men and you're trying to you know, hold your position, you're trying to gain, you're trying to improve. God says, hey, I've always, I'm, I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Are you serious? It's like, huh. you think, well, what are you going to do to me? The creator is on my side. So what can men do to me? So just relax. Just relax. Follow God's institutions. Follow God's morals. Be content with what you have. God's got you. But men are, men, men are not a threat. It's like they may, may, may roar, they may appear to be, but God has you. Okay. This is now the new material, chapter 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders. Now, right on the tail of that, remember your leaders, which would probably indicate we know some people that have come and gone, and they lived this very way. They did what God called them to do. Their names aren't mentioned. They're not, you know, in the hall of fame anywhere. Uh, They came, they went, but now you know who they are. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life 
and imitate their faith. So what you see right there is this. Uh, it, it does appear that these leaders have, they're no longer there. The idea of remember, uh, they taught, you can see right there, they taught them, they taught the word of God, they were teachers, and they had faith, and that faith was lived, all right, lived. They had faith, but they lived a life based on this faith and taught the word. Then they were examples, and the key right here, the outcome. You saw them live, you saw the things that took place, and you saw how they died and what the result of their outcome or their fruit of their life was. This is good stuff. You do that very thing. You know, respect marriage, you know, uh, keep God's morals, uh, do not, you know, be hungry for money. Just follow the teaching, have the faith, live the way they did, and you'll have the same outcome and fruit. This is good results right here. It's, there's a good example. There's, those are the examples. We're going to assume that these leaders, again, like I said, have died. Again, there's no indication that they were martyred. Some people try to build that up, but, you know, and it's pretty clear that that's not the point. But now watch right here. They've left you an example, but where are they now? They're gone. But don't worry, because look at this next verse, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and or yesterday, and today, and forever. So what you have here is you have Jesus, and it is written this way, Jesus Christ. It is written in, that in, in the Greek, Jesus Christos, Jesus the Anointed, the Messiah. Uh, you know, Lord, you know, that would be the Messiah, but indicating he's God. He is the same. He has not changed. And we've got yesterday, and we'll look at this very quickly. Yesterday, today, and forever. And so, although Jesus has died and been resurrected and gone to heaven, he is still functioning in the midst of his church. Now, your leader, if it's James or if it's, uh, you know, some other leader that was there, uh, they, they may have gone on. They're, they're gone, and they're no longer with you. You have their memory, you have their example, you have their teaching, but they're not here. Jesus, you don't just have his teaching and his memory and his example. He's, he's still here. He's still here. Uh, and that's 63 AD, which, of course, the application would be, we also have Christ with us yet today. Look at the notes, if you don't mind, on page one. Um, We'll come back to, uh, well, you see on the very first word, chapter 13, verse 7, just some things. In chapter 13, verse 7, that's the previous leaders are told to follow. We're referring to that. In chapter 13, verse 17, we won't get there today. It refers to their current leaders. That would be like Simeon and John. Uh, refer to the current leaders. They're told to obey them. And we'll, talk, we'll start next week with that, meaning you know, they're trying to help you. They're here leading you as Christians, and they're trying to help you cooperate with them. Uh, chapter 13, verse 24, mentioned again, and refer to the current leaders once again, but there they're told to greet them. Hey, say hi to the leaders, because, and apparently uh, this person writing this letter is considering himself one of the leaders, because many times there in the book he talks about we, we, you know, we need this, we follow Christ, we, he's one of the congregation, we're trying to hold on to the faith. But here, he, when he talks there, he talks about greet them, or you greet them. And so he's talking about, you know, he's not one of them. We greet our leaders. He tells them to greet the leaders, which kind of gives the impression that he considers himself. Obviously, he's writing a letter to them. He's one of their leaders. Um, but that chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, point 
2, it says Psalms 102 referred to in Hebrews 112, uh, where it talks about God who is eternal and never changing. It is applied in other places. This concept is applied to God. But without any introduction, without any hesitation, without any apology or anything, he just... They just take this same verse that applies to God. Now, this doesn't apply to Simeon or James or Paul or so. No one else, no one can say yesterday, today, and forever about an individual. But this writer, without even hesitating, puts Jesus Christ in the same category, which obviously is not news to us, but it's very clear that in the book of Hebrews, there Jesus is God. He's, in this, he's getting the same verses that are credited to God in the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah 48, 12, I am the first and I am the last, picks up on that same idea. Hebrews 5, 7, these, this is interesting, point 4, 5, and 6. If we go through the letter so far, Hebrews 5, 7, talking about Jesus yesterday during his ministry on earth. Yesterday, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. So in the past, Jesus was interceding to God. Uh, in chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 15, today Jesus represents his people in the presence of God as high priest. So yesterday he was on earth interceding for himself. Today he's at the right hand of God interceding for you. And then Hebrews seven twenty-five, forever Jesus lives to intercede for his people. So that's just one example of, I mean, this, is, this goes yesterday, today, and forever, you know, Alpha and Omega, that goes way back to eternity past before time began in a way distant future beyond anything we can even understand. Jesus Christ is the same. But in his, the context of the book, yesterday he was on earth praying, interceding for himself so that he might fulfill. Today he's gone to the Father where he's interceding for us, and he is there forever interceding for the believers. So in other words, his ministry as a high priest, and again, this is an example of Jesus Christ, is the true high priest. You no longer need the natural high priest. He is your high priest, and he's not at an altar in Jerusalem in a temple somewhere. He's in the presence of God, at the right hand of God, interceding for you face-to-face with God or right beside God or as God himself. And uh, point seven, when it says, you know, in verse chapter 13, verse 7, the leaders have passed, chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus is the same, which means Jesus is continually available for his people. He is there today. James may be gone other leaders may be gone, but Jesus is still there and aware. Okay, chapter 13, verse 9, on the bottom of page 1, this is the English Standard Version. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teaching. So there's two words. Uh, we can see them different in the NIV. Diverse and strange and led away. And a word that's going to pop up here is going to be grace. It's going to be kind of the contrast. So in the NIV, chapter 13, verse 9, it says, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. And so here's the ideal of you being picked up and carried away. Uh, You can be led away, but the ideal is that you're getting on this train. Here's this information, and when you embrace this information, you board this information, this information is going to take you to this conclusion. So it's like you're, you're, in a sense, boarding, getting on something. It's not just saying, you know, it, you know, you can see, it, come over here, leading you here. But if you just simply accept, like if I teach something, you know, pick out something, you go, oh, that's the way the world works. So you jump on that train, you start analyzing everything from that position, you're going to end up with this conclusion. That's how you're going to analyze everything. 
whatever, uh, you know, pick out any current issue, and whatever position you want to take is going to lead you to the next station, to the next station, and pretty soon here you are. And they're saying the diverse, well, let's look at the notes here. All, NIV, all kinds of, here, diverse. In the Greek, in the box right here in the Greek, it says, uh, by teachings, it, and again, that's the emphatic word at the top of page two, this verse is about teaching. And the word there, various and strange. And you can see poikalias, which is uh, point two. Poikalias is literally, oh, it says may-colored. I was rat, That's supposed to be many-colored. Many-colored refers to a great variety. So you've got uh, many-colored or a wide variety of teaching. Now, one thing that's all the commentators that I read pointed out on this diverse and on this right here, it doesn't, it doesn't nail down what he's talking about. It's like, it's just, it's just a general statement. But they would have known specifically because there was, in, something was in the church or in their circle that was continually being, you know, popping up that was, they were dealing with. They would know what he was talking about. Now, it could be something from the temple. It could be some kind of rituals. It could be some kind of, a, you know, something combining with greek philosophy we, you get can go we can go into great detail on this in colossians and some of the same emphasis especially when it t- it's going to mention food food is going to come up in this verse and some of the strange teachings involve food on, on what level uh, it could be ceremonial food it could be the ideal of of becoming holy by food or not by participating in food and the word grace is going to be it's going to be good for your hearts to be strengthened by grace in contrast, some are going to have a fanatical time about, oh, you're going to get holy by food or rituals or some other, again, diverse. The many-colored variety of different ways that people attain God or get right standing with God, no. It's, that's very, it, it, there's many of them. And strange, it is the word you can see right there, it means foreign. Uh, if I can pronounce it right, it's right there. The word is xeneas, you know, where you can see xenophobic, or z- you see it right there. It means foreign. It means something that foreign. This is not talking about a foreign nation. This is talking about something that is foreign, going to be foreign to grace. It's like you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus, we're headed towards the altar of Christ on the cross. He's not in the temple. His blood was not shed in the temple. His body was not eaten in the temple. He was taken, rejected by the temple, the leaders, and put outside the city where the lepers are taken, where the garbage is taken, where the the, uh, uh, sacrifice, the uh, the Day of Atonement, the carcass was taken out and burnt to dust, burnt to ashes, totally consumed. So Jesus wasn't given a place of honor. He was put out there in the unclean. So this is going to be the altar. So he has done the work. Anything that comes in here and, and puts you back into the temple, you know, some kind of a ritual, some kind of standing, some kind of cleanness, some kind of acceptability that's in some kind of other system, other than grace, that Jesus has gone outside and done the work, that is your salvation. If it's something other than that, it is foreign. It is strange. Yeah, but that's interesting. That does have a connection. Well, yeah, but is it grace? Well, it's a slight variation. Okay, so it's a slight variation, and it's a little different, but it is intriguing. And look, people are interested in it. Yes, you're getting on the train, and you're going to be led astray. And preaching, you're over here saying, 
Well, we, and you got it's just going to get worse because once you buy into this, once you say, yeah, but, and so he's saying, do not let yourselves be led astray. Well, teaching, he says, teaching. There's diverse, many kinds of strange that's going to lead you away. Well, let's read the rest of it. Bottom of page 1, chapter 13, verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart, that's referring to the whole person, the being, the inner part of man, to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. Now again, that, that's you know, a big clue on where he's heading with this, and it does tie into the temple services. Uh, but it's not limited to that, because all, all religions, and again, you gotta, I'll, I'll say all, now you're going to have to then filter through, does that mean, does that make sense? But all worldly religions are going to be over here in some kind of tangible, uh, you're going to do these things, you're going to eat these things, you're going to not do these things, you're going to not eat these things. You're down here in this city, in this temporal world, and you're doing something, and it's going to strengthen you. And this is saying, no, no, it can't, it's, it's, it's of this world, and it can't deliver you from this world because you're in this world being delivered from something in this world. You're just emotionally feeling satisfied but it's not there's only one thing that can deliver you from this world it's going to be something outside of this world which is jesus christ coming on the cross and dying for your sins and you by faith with no effort you trust in him okay now you're safe now you're outside of this world you're strengthened by grace now you're going to start to change now you're going to start to because there's going to be standards you know not for salvation but you're being conformed not being uh, 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 conformed to this world, you're being transformed into something else. So change, I mean, this is not, grace is not, well, I don't have to change. God accepts me just the way I am. Well, that's the only way you can get to God is go just as you are and come through the sacrifice of Christ. But once you get there, understand, you've just received the life of God, the spirit of God, the truth of God, and you are darkness from a cosmos that's in rebellion towards God. You are gonna have to change rapidly and continuously over the next, well, I don't know, forever you're going to be i'm not sure how the process goes once you get into heaven uh you know of course your you know glorification comes and all that but this is again what this verse is saying uh let's see i'm going to read this food mentioned here oh it does not profit anyone one thing that this is not going to and this is on the point chapter 13 verse 10 and this is and again you you got to make a decision on this uh there, this is not talking anywhere in these verses is not talking about communion or the body and blood of christ as in the eucharist we're not talking about anything like that in these verses and you can see if you come at it with a from a different uh position uh uh you know from a catholic position possibly or an orthodox position uh, or even something else where you can try to read and stretch these verses and make it apply to uh, the altar of communion but that's, that, that is foreign to these verses. That is not, this is, has nothing to do with communion. Again, you're going to have to decide that as we go through this. But that's, I'm saying that as a fairly confident statement, but I don't expect you just to accept it because I said it. Okay, so chapter 13, verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. So there are those who are under grace and they have benefit is there an e or an i there then there is food 
And whatever this food is, I mean, are we talking temple food? We're talking pagan rituals, of ceremonial food, even some kind of Christian meal, you know, some kind of Christian, whatever, it, this physical food, no benefit. It is of no, they're committed to this. They celebrate this. They pursue this. It has no benefit. What benefits you is grace. And now again, that's just not, you know, a grace is just not an empty slate. You just get it. It's like you're by grace, you're going to Christ where life is, you're born again, and transformation begins to change. And there's great benefit which carries on in this life and at the age to come. This right here, even Jesus talked about food. He says you eat it, it goes through the body, and there's, you can use it symbolically, and they did in the Old Testament, but understand, this is not what we saw last week, or no, it'd be Tuesday, uh, Monday night. This is not building on the Old Testament. This is not the Old Testament, and now the Old Testament is building into the New Testament. This is, again, that is, there's a background. I mean, there's a background to it. But the Old Covenant is over, and this is the New Covenant. And Jesus, in chapter 2 of Mark, very clearly we saw it on Monday night when we went through it, uh, you can't take new wine and put it in old wineskins. You can't take new wine and put it in here. Then that's what he's talking about. It, it, you can't understand the new, new covenant from this. Uh, this is a shadow. You know, they had sacrifices. Sin was identified. They had a temple. They had the presence of God. But that was all a shadow. Now that the new wine has come, you're not going to be able to take all of this and put it back into the temple and the animal sacrifices and understand and receive the new life. It, 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 it's going gonna, it's gonna to destroy this. And it's going to corrupt all the old wine. It's going to spill out. It's gonna be, you're going to lose them both. You're going to have some strange variety, new foreign teaching. Uh, and along with that, he told the parable of the new, new patch of cloth on the, an old garment. You're going to ruin them both. And then last week, <coughs> on Monday night, we talked about, uh, they came to him and says, hey, uh, your, your disciples are violating the Sabbath. And he ends up saying, right, but the Son of Man himself, being the Messiah, is Lord of the Sabbath. And so something bigger here is happening than your little ritual. The ritual was there for a while, but guess who's shown up? The one who had the original Sabbath on the seventh day of creation, the one who instituted the Sabbath, has now come, and I'm now here. And so he is now, there's a new age right here. That's why, that's what the gospel, Mark is the gospel of Jesus. It's, it's the new age, not the new age of the postmodern, whatever we're doing here in our age. But whenever the gospel came about, that was the word gospel was an emperor being declared that there is now a new emperor. We're celebrating his birthday, his arrival. And now there's going to be this time, like I said on Monday nights, there's this time from the time this emperor came. You can remember this was before the emperor. This is the way it used to be. But now the emperor is here, and this is the way it's going to be now. This is the gospel of the emperor. Th th that was a, a term that was used. We, they've even got documentation carved in Greek and stone saying the same thing about the gospel of so-and-so. It's, it's the declaration of the emperor. It's like, you remember the way it was? Remember the way it was under, under Trump? Yes, this is the new age of Biden. This is the gospel of Biden. We're never going to look back. We're going for, for example, that's what we're talking about. And so when it says the gospel of Jesus, even the gospel of Jesus, it's like, oh, what does that mean? It means Mark was proclaiming there was an age before, and now that the coming of Christ, coming of Jesus, there's now time after his arrival, and we are living in that time 
and this is began here. And so the very fact, the very definition of gospel, the very idea, this was there. Yes, this was the old age, but the new has come, so we are no longer over here. If you go back here and try and live here, you're living in the wrong administration. It's like we're over here now. Now, this they're not in, in a sense contrary it's like when again in the gnostic this was the the evil god this was the good god we're not saying that this was a shadow but when god became a man and died on the cross you don't need an animal you don't need a temple you don't need a sacrifice it's like come over here and if you go back over here and and follow this there's no benefit if you come over here and receive this grace of this gospel this new age there's great benefit and that is what the entire book has been about per se all right, so let's go back to this because something big is coming up right here. Chapter 10, verse 13. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Now notice right here, he's using the reference to tent, which is the tabernacle. So there is an altar. We're going to say it's the cross. Altar, which is Christ's death. And then there's going to be over here, we'll just say the tent, which is the uh, tabernacle, tabernacle, manifested today in 63 AD as the temple, and it is in the city of Jerusalem. Now, all of these things are going to be like, okay, we're done with those. And we're over here on a new altar, and he says right here, we have an altar from which those who serve in the tent, or in this system, have no right to eat. You, you can't be over here and say you're part of this. You've got to abandon this to come over here. You've got to leave the old wineskin to get the new wine. You can't patch the old garment and say, well, we can fix this with this. Jesus didn't come to restore the Old Testament. He didn't come to restore the Mosaic Covenant. That, he did not come to say, okay, now, who came to restore the Old Covenant? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah. It's like, come on, you clowns. You've got it written right here. You're in rebellion towards the word of God. And said, so now you're going to face destruction. There's a day coming where the Messiah is going to come. They talk about this, and then there'll be a glorious day. But meanwhile, you guys are under judgment because you're not following it. Jesus didn't come and start proclaiming, you need to start following the old covenant. He came and says very clearly, we're going, and he came in fulfillment of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Genesis. So he's not, he is, there's, do not even let your mind think, he came to clean up Judaism. No, he came because Judaism was extinguished. It was done. It was, and you're going to see this. Even Paul writes about, in Thessalonians, he says, and now judgment has come to the Jews. Again, not being anti-Semitic by any means, but in 66 AD, the Jews, the Jewish society that rejected Jesus and his altar, they continued until they found the Messiah they wanted, or a couple of them, and they went, went to war with Rome. And ev- all of this collapsed. The tent, the tabernacle, the temple, the city, Jerusalem, all went under pagan rule. And Jesus had prophesied. He says it's going to be trampled on by the Gentiles until the age of the Gentiles is fulfilled. So in 63 AD, this, this writer is almost telling them don't get out of this. Don't hook up to this because this has done its time. We've gone outside the city to the new altar. This is your future. And it's not just not a political future. It's reality. It's, it's the gospel. It's, this was the old age. This is now the new age of which you're living. So we have an altar. And I think, you know, it doesn't say here what altar it is, but I, I, we're gonna, I'm going to assume and it's going to become clear that it's, it's Christ's death. 
We have an altar from which those who serve at the tent have no right to eat. You can't bring this into here. It doesn't, you, you took it outside the city. You're not going to be able to bring it back in. You, you gotta, you, if you're going to eat from this altar, you have to come over here and join us outside the city. Well, this is, this is where the prestige is. This is where the history is. This is where all the antiquity, all the ancient rules and laws, this is our, our, our nation's history. Right. So you want that? Or you want the gospel, the new age where Jesus Christ has turned the page. Um, chapter 13, verse 11. And now here's the example. He, now he, gonna use a, he makes that statement. Now he goes to the Old Testament. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Now he's talking about the Day of Atonement specifically. We could go through several examples. And in the, in the Old Testament... You would have, for example, let's see, here's the, the tabernacle or the temple, and there would be the camp of the people around, you know, like this, if you want to say it like this. There's several things we could go on down this. But they would take, they'd make a sacrifice, they'd bring the blood in, and they'd put the blood in the most holy place, but the body was taken outside the camp and consumed, totally consumed, not cooked, consumed, burnt to ashes. And that, that, is, you know, that, that is the place of unclean. They didn't want the sin in the camp. They took it outside the camp and made atonement. And the example is going to be now they've taken Jesus out here. And not only have they taken his body, they didn't offer him in the city. They took him outside the city. So his blood and his body are outside. So he is totally, he was never, his sacrifice, if you accept it, was never part of the tabernacle, which again, I, I, I would not to jump on this, you know, and, and make an absolute statement, but it kind of makes the, the ridiculous idea that they keep trying to find the Ark of the Covenant and they keep trying to have it placed under Golgotha. And when Jesus' blood, when he dripped the blood, it dripped on the mercy seat buried in a cave. Now that could be true, but that kind of violates, I mean, I'm, I'm just talking, in a sense, out loud here, like for conversation. It's not like, I'm not saying they're all idiots. But it's like, this is saying, Jesus had nothing to do with this. His blood was outside. His body was outside. This is all done. This is, we're done. We're done. Yes, but the Ark of the Covenant. Well, is the Ark of the Covenant from heaven, or is the Ark of the Covenant from this age? Uh, and again, I'm as excited about harrison ford as anybody about the ark of the covenant I, i'd like i got the hat i got everything I'm, I'm looking i'd love to find it uh so i might by no means mocking the ark of the covenant even if it's just for archaeological reasons but it, it kind of falls flat saying yes and underneath this was the ark of the covenant and the blood from the cross dripped down here making it's like well now you're right back over here with this illustration now again there may be you may say, yes, but God had had a fulfilled, and there may be more to that story. I'm just saying, in these verses, it kind of wipes out any need to have the blood dripping on the Ark of the Covenant buried under, uh, the, 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 uh, under Calvary. Uh, okay, again, just a side note there. Now, if we find the Ark of the Covenant in a cave under Golgotha, the Calvary, it's going to be like, okay and then there's a little hole there and there's drips of blood to check out it's like okay that's pretty oh okay i'll have to rethink that but okay okay so jesus oh, okay okay we're in chapter page two chapter 13 verse 11 for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice of sin are burned outside the camp so they did take the blood of the bull in but the body was taken out 
chapter 13, verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So Jesus went outside, and notice right here, he was sacrificed or suffered outside, and that's where his blood was spilled, was outside, and that's where his body was crucified. Um, Tony, can you, you do this thing on the sheet right there? Uh, we've got on page five, and we got, she's got some pictures there. That she, you won't be able to see them. Uh, they're going to pop up right here on, this, on the video. You know that first one. Now, this is just for, just for your entertainment pleasure, if I can say that, or you know, how far do you go with this? The, the first picture that you, you can see on page five is the city of Jerusalem. It was a city came like this, then over here is the western hill over here. Uh, down here is the old city of David. Here's the temple right over here. The temple mount extended by hair. This would be right here would be Solomon's original 500 cubit by 500 cubit, and the temple would have stood right here. Uh, Herod expanded it down here and up to here, and there was pavement. There's pavement going this way, like this, and so and we've walked on this. And some of you walked on this. this. There's pavement that's been excavated. It was New Testament pavement. There's the, there's arches. There's an arch, Robinson's arch, going in here. There was. Uh, 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 Warren's, Warren's Arch, Wilson's Arch, uh, Barclay's Arch, or Gateway. Those are all gateways that you could go in and access the temple from this pavement right here, okay? Jesus was crucified outside the city walls. You can see that in the Gospels. You can see they're not going to crucify a man inside the city. So, I mean, historically, they're not going to do it. The Gospels, he's outside here. The theme of this, these verses is he's outside the walls of the city. Now, today... If we were to draw the city of Jerusalem, the walls that were built in 1535 by Solomon the Magnificent, it's right smack dab. Well, it's in the middle of the Christian quarter, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, but that's 1535. And those are walls, some of them they copied, built over some of the walls, but that, that's a different set of walls. Now, Herod Agrippa, the one who dies in Acts, being eaten by worms, he expanded the city walls. And this thing to go, notice Jesus outside the city. Now, the second picture is the walls were expanded up to like here. Now that would be 40, 41 to 44 A.D., and it was still like that in 70 A.D. And you can see, you know, I've got some pictures in the New Jerusalem book of some of the, the stones, including the quarry from the walls that was up there. I went up there in 2012 and started looking, and you can see them, some big stones and even some of the quarry. So by 41, 44 A.D., the the tomb of christ is inside the city walls as the city expanded north but that was not the case in 30 a.d um the next picture is interesting uh kind of small and graphic it's out of the framework book this is uh the the friday of the 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 friday morning of the crucifixion and the crucifixion and you've got you can follow the numbers one starts outside the city where Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's brought in down to this part of the town. Uh, this would be point, what if this is point two and three, but goes to Caiaphas's house and is tried there. Uh, then he goes to the Sanhedrin, which appears to be meeting on the Temple Mount. That would be three. Is that right? Oh, no, no, he went to two, two, two. He went to Caiaphas, then he went to Annas. That would be two and three down here in this part of the city. He goes to the Sanhedrin. That's four uh, and five. And then it says he goes to six. He goes to see Pilate. 
Now, what I've got on this map is Pilate was at Fort Antonia right here. Okay, now this is going to answer some questions. Fort Antonia right here. Again, the city walls are up here. Over here is Herod's, Herod's palace. Okay, that's the fortress. This is the high priestly quarters. This is probably where John Mark's house was, his mom's house. Uh, John and Mary may have lived in this time after 30 AD, you know, they, when they were gone to Pella. Uh, they would have lived over here, and this is the rich part of the city. But in this part of the city, too, was another palace, the Hasmonean Palace from the Maccabees and, the, and the, those people. I don't have this on this map. So there's two stories. Jesus would have been taken to Pilate, who then finds out he's from Galilee, and then sends him over to Herod over here. Um, now the, okay, let's do this. Let's get rid of this wall, because this wall's not there in 30 AD. That's what I should do. And then Herod sends him back to Pilate, who then has him beaten and then hands him over to death, and he will go out this gate right here. And there he goes to his crucifixion. Uh, this gate today is referred to as the judgment gate. It hasn't really been found. They think they found it uh, a few years ago in the 1800s, but it is probably the wall of Hadrian's shrine that he built over the tomb of christ and there's to be like the foundation walls because it's only five feet long or wide there's a russian complex there and the people think they found it uh, that's still you know not real sure but there was a gate and i can show you where that road's at but there was a pavement going along here now if Pilate was staying here, you know, this you you say why would we care i don't know but i cared and tried to figure it out so you have to put up with that Pilate is here here to Antipas is here. But this is where the Roman soldiers would be stationed, like a garrison. It's really not where the governor would stay. The governor would have stayed in the more luxurious fortress over here, so Pilate would be staying here. Well, where is Herod staying? He would have stayed down because he's related to the Hasmoneans. Herod would have been staying down here in the Hasmonean palace, in the rich quarter of the city near the priestly quarters. So, Jesus would have gone from the, from the priestly trial to the Sanhedrin to Pilate for condemnation. Now the city wall comes down like this. And so he would have came out, if, if it's Fort Antonia, he would have came out here. That's Via Della Rosa. That's the Via Della Rosa story. If, I, I never spent much time looking at that. I'd see signs. I just walked past it. Um, there's a lot of, you know, goofy religious stuff. Um, a lot of made-up stuff. But this pavement is real. Uh, but if Pilate is over here, there would be a gate right here, not the Joppa gate, but close to the Joppa gate, where they'd go out right here. So then the trial would have gone from the priest to the Sanhedrin to Pilate to Herod, back to Pilate, and Jesus would have gone out this way. Okay? I'm going to show you this way right here. Now, so you can see kind of the details on that map. Now, look at that next picture. I think it's picture 004, Tony. And there's a, a beautiful young woman standing there on pavement from the New Testament time. Oh, yeah, that's Tony. Uh, that's Tony. And she's standing, she is standing right here in the northwest corner of the Temple Mount. To her left is the Temple Wall. It's not stones, because it's actually the bedrock rising. Down here, you can see in the book, I got pictures of myself looking at the foundation, the very lowest foundation stone of the temple it's like 15 or 50 feet wide it's huge and then they're stacked up 
and it continues up here, but this bedrock is rising. It's sitting on the bedrock here, but we're way below, we're way down below. Then as it rises, the bedrock rises. Eventually, up in here, there's no more stone that you can see because the bedrock is sticking up right here. And so to Tony's left there is the bedrock of Mount Moriah, and that's the pavement, the, the stone right there that was put in there. And right here, I should do it like this, move this up a little bit further. She's standing right here, if that's, you know. Okay, you see that, and you see the pavement? But if you look to her, uh, to her right, there's some stones and things. Now turn the page. And now you can see her looking, same place, but she's looking at, and there's two pillars. There's a pillar here and a pillar there. Do you see those two pillars? That's a colonnade. That's a, that's a, and she's standing on the pavement right here, first century pavement. And there's a colonnade. Uh, where they'd have columns going on both sides of the sidewalk, and then there'd be like pillars, beams, and there'd be a roof on it going out this way. And the rubble, there's still rubble. If they would continue to excavate, just start digging through those pillars going this way, they'd find column after column, just like on the Cardo, if you're familiar with the Cardo from uh, the Byzantine time period, that, that'd be, you, could, you could find the pavement and walk right down that. That would be going out the judgment gate. That right there. If Tony would, if she could somehow walk between those two pillars on that, on that picture, is that right here? That's still right there. If she could walk through those two pillars, she'd be walking right out the gate through the wall to where Jesus was crucified outside the city, city wall. And now the last picture is just a model of, it's a model of the temple. I'm standing like right here in front of the model, taking a picture this way, maybe a little bit further. And, uh, the background there in the back is the, the behind the, uh, that, that's the wall. You can see the actual stone of the temple wall that's been rebuilt and the models in front of it. And you can see the pavement on the ground right there. See the pavement on the ground where it's got like Warren's Gate and then you've got Wilson's Arch. You can see the prayer plaza where it says prayer plaza. And I've got a line there that says today's street level and all those pavements are down below. And where Tony is standing in that picture before that is she's just further to the, the left of that picture. We've just walked all the way up. We basically walked from here all the way up to here. And you could come out up here. But when they came through, what year it was, I don't remember, there's a huge riot and a bunch of people got murdered. And so they walled it off. You can't walk out there anymore. Because you're walking into the Muslim quarter. Christian quarter, Muslim quarter, Jewish quarter, armenian quarter and then down here you can see right here this part you can actually the sunlight is shining on the pavement here you can see the pavement here you can see it the steps go around here so this is all new testament pavement that they would have walked on so potentially where tony's standing jesus would have passed by there and walked right through that colonnade out the city gate to his crucifixion if he's coming from fort antoniah if he's pilot is over here in herod's palace the fortress and herod antipas is down here in hasmonean he would have gone out here Okay, nonetheless, a little history for that verse that Jesus was crucified outside the city. Now, this is 30, 33 years after the event. So they, when they say he was crucified outside the city, there's people there, that, including John, who's alive yet for another 30 years. John would be like, uh-huh, yeah, I remember. It's like they're not making stuff up. They're writing to people that, yeah, I remember he was crucified outside the city. Okay. The point that the author is making is this, is Jesus was the sacrifice. Jesus on the cross was the altar and the sacrifice, 
of the blood and body that made sanctification atonement for us, and it was outside. It was not in the temple. They'd rejected him. It was not in the city. They rejected him. This whole temporal system of religion, of Judaism, of everything that foreshadowed his coming, rejected him. And so he was driven out where the lepers go, where the Day of Atonement sacrifices were consumed with fire. He was fully rejected by the system. And the point is, and you want to follow Christ. Okay, get ready, because guess what's going to happen? They're not going to accept you. I mean, there's no, there's no, re, no logic. Why would all of a sudden you become a Christian and the temple goes, well, come on in, we'd like to have you speak. Or the city, come on in, this is, this is your city. It's like, if you're following the Christ, the system has rejected him. If you're going to follow him, line up. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be refused. You're going to be considered a leper. Uh, and I'm going to read the rest of these verses here if I can find where I'm at. And we we're wrapping this up here. Chapter 13, verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. If you're still in here, you have not come to this altar. This is grace. If you're in here, you're working a system. You haven't figured it out yet. It's only by grace. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Meaning, he says, this is exactly what takes place in the Day of Atonement. So Jesus, who was that atonement, also suffered outside the gate, just like the Old Testament animals, in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. If you're in here, you're trusting something else. You're trusting the blood of an animal. You're trusting the food. You're trusting the system. You're trusting the, you know, the you know, priorities, whatever's here. If you're out here, you're, you only got one thing. There's no temple. There's nothing. The altar is the cross. You've only got Jesus, his body, and his blood. So Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, what does this mean? Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Therefore, if that's where he had to go, then there's only one answer here. We need to go out here. We need to be rejected by the temple and the city. Now watch this. Yeah, but the city, it's our holy city. Well, it's 60, if it's 63 AD, what's going to happen to this in the next seven years? Watch this, chapter 13, verse 14. For we have no, for here, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. This city right here is not a lasting city. Yeah, I guess all cities eventually fall. No, I mean, true. No, I'm talking about we are in the, we're months away from this city being eliminated, totally destroyed. The temple's gone. If you're going to, just imagine someone making a choice in 63 AD. Will it be the temple and the city? Or do I leave the city and join these Christians who are outside of the unclean? And they're actually going to the Gentile world proclaiming the gospel. It's like, I don't know. I'm going to stick with what is solid. I'm going to stick with, ah, by 70 AD, it's all gone. I mean, there's nothing here. The only thing you've got, this was more solid than that. So in 63 AD, this is a big choice. By 70 AD, the choice is not even available. It's gone. It's a memory. And so even with us, this city, it says, therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. Today in 2022, is it this party? Is it this political position? Is it this group? What, what is it? It's like, same thing. Everything here, 
is passing away. You have nothing here. Uh, listen, even the institutions, now while you're here, we just read it, honor marriage. Uh, marriage should be honored by everyone. But understand, when we cross over into the new age, there's no, Jesus said, there's no marriage. It's an institution for this age. So that doesn't mean you can be sexually immoral and, and discount marriage here because marriage is an institution. Honor marriage, it was given to God by man and follows sexual moral code. But understand, when we cross over, sexual moral code is not an issue. There's no, the sexual is not, sex is not an issue. In marriage, it's like, and then that's another whole story. We've talked about that before. It's like, what about my wife? Where's she at? It's like, she should be here with me. It's like, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. But I do know that when I get there, we're not going to be married. It's an institution given by God to men. And once we cross over, this institution is gone. Marriage is gone. And other institutions that are temporal. So we have nothing here that's lasting. It's going to come over here. The only thing you're going to have is salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, again, don't be disappointed. I mean, again, if you have a great marriage, it's like, well, I am disappointed. If you have a lousy marriage, it's like, I can't wait. I mean, depends <laughs> on where you're at. But that's just an illustration. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Which also says, when you go out here to Christ, you're not really entering a city. You're, you're looking for a city. Just like Abraham, he left Ur and went to Canaan. And it's like, well, then he found his city. No, I mean, he even went into Salem. He says, he is, he is still looking. And so you can come to Christ today. You've got the altar, the sacrifice, the body, the blood. You've received the grace. But your city is not here yet. You're still, you've got to live here in this temporal realm with this attitude knowing that everything you touch here and value here is passing away but something greater is coming Th through him then let us continue here i got to wrap this up so let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to god that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge him and that the debate would come well if you go outside you have no temple you've got no you, what you have nothing what, what are you what's your religion now James even says this, the religion that God, in the book of James comes next, it, James says, the religion that God considers pure is to take care of orphans and to do good deeds. In other words, what about all these sacrifices and the rituals over here? This had meaning. I fulfilled my rituals. Over here, if you say there's no rituals, what, you just do whatever you want to? Oh, no, no, no. We have a sacrificial system. It's going to be praise. It's going to be thanksgiving. It's going to be good deeds. It's going to, well, here it is. I'll read it. So now you're focused not on your own little dead rituals. You're now focused on other people and living Christ-like. Through him, let us continually, that means always, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Your sacrifice is not an animal. It's praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So you are over here acknowledging Jesus Christ in a world of unclean this is the world of unclean going to the gentiles going to the pagans and in the midst of that you're proclaiming jesus the sacrifice the grace of jesus christ the gospel of jesus that is your sacrifice. so there it is proclaiming his name do not neglect to do good and to share with what you have so you're going to do good deeds and then right here where we left off last week is be content with what you have stop striving for money and more things be content with what you have here what you have share it this is, a, well, what, I'm going to offer this to God. Okay, offer it to God by giving it to someone else. Now, I'll tell you this, it's just a principle that we picked up a few years ago. Uh, and it, you can't preach this in church. You can't preach this in church. But when you start giving, 
the, the biblical example of giving is to give to those in need. Not to give to your pastor who will then distribute the money as he feels necessary. And, and after all the staff has put their time in and got their paychecks, then we, we also can, we also, it's like, you know, you can bypass that whole structure. And again, I'm just saying, you know, not that you shouldn't support a church or support, you know, a ministry, but it's like, share the things you have. There's no thing in here, praise and thanksgiving and good deeds and sharing and financing the pastor. Make sure you finance your leaders. No, it says obey your leaders. It never says that. Make sure you finance them. It's like, they should have a, they should, aren't they financing, they should have, be honoring marriage and honoring the institution like everybody else, including, what are you doing to make money? Oh, I, I have a path, I'm a lead pastor with 17 associate pastors, and we fleece these people every week, and we just keep trying to grow. It's like, what, 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 what? we're concerned about, we love people. Of course you love them, that's where you get your money from. Have you told the people to share? Stop giving me your money and start giving it to the people that are in need. I got a job. Okay, there goes the ministry generation. We're just sank. <laughs> but you know, that, that's the idea. That you can see the idea right there. It's like they're not, he's not trying to have a fundraiser here, but he's saying your sacrifice, and just think ironically, your sacrifice, each of you needs to sacrifice today and, and drop off a check on your way out to the generation word Bible. It's like, okay, now how's that a demonstration of sacrifice? It's like, no. Find somebody that is in need, and, well, I'm just reading the text to you. I'm just saying, just kind of, it's just, chapter 30, verse 15, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, so sacrifice of praise, acknowledge his name, do not neglect to do good, and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Uh, And that's the end of the verse right there. Now, again, when we say this whole thing about giving, if there, the ministry, the, Paul does talk about uh, supporting those who are leading and teaching. And, and, and Jesus said the same thing. Uh, don't take any money with you. you know, they'll, they'll be taking care of you. But it is basically provision so you can continue the work. It's not a get-rich-quick plan. Uh, and so there is obviously a place to support your local ministry, especially if you're reaching the community and stuff like that. So that's, there's that it needs to be tempered too, but sometimes you see more of, Give us the money, and then we'll, we'll distribute it to the poor. It's like, hey, I got an idea. Where are you giving the money to? I'll just write the check to them. It's like, well, no, no, no. We'll do it for you. It's like, no, no, no. That's like, uh, oh, think of something else. It's like cutting out the middleman. It's like buying stuff on Amazon instead of Walmart, you know. Okay. That's the Amazon plan of giving. Okay. Okay. I'll pray because we're out of time, and I kind of hit a dead end right there. Okay. <laughs> but Father, do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we again would... Uh, take them to heart, allow them to transform our lives, that we would do these things, that we would embrace the grace that Jesus Christ has provided for us and to continue to grow and become the people you've called us to be. We do ask that we'd be able to distinguish between the things of this age and the things that are to come and live a life that is honorable to you at this time in a fallen world. Again, we ask that we may rise above this age and be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.